welcome to our newest episode of the Lebanese Physicians Podcast. And uh, today uh, we will be talking about mental health of healthcare workers on the, on the front line or in crisis situations. And our guest today is Dr. Maya Bizri, who's currently a psychiatrist at the American University of Beirut Medical Center. Dr. Bizri graduated uh, with an MD in 2011 from Lebanon and then went ahead to do her Master in Public Health at Tufts University. Then went back to Lebanon again, did her psychiatry residency at AUB, and did her fellowship in what's called consultation liaison psychiatry at the Cleveland Clinic Foundation before moving back to Lebanon in March of 2019, just before the revolution had started. So welcome, Maya, to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. This is very exciting. You can go ahead and ask me. What do you you want to say? People didn't know know much about what? (laughs) Yes, I was going to say people don't know what consultation liaison psychiatry is. Can you tell us a bit about it before we start uh, our discussion? Yeah, so so actually it used to be psychosomatic medicine. At some point it was psychiatry for the medically ill, but then the rest of psychiatry got upset. If if you're the medical psychiatry, what are we? And so it became psychosomatic medicine. And then in 2018, it became consultation liaison psychiatry. So basically it's anything that is at the interface of the brain and the body as, as a condition, as a syndrome. So, and it has different subspecialties even within it. So you have psycho-oncology, transplant psychiatry. It's the, the psychiatrists that see the delirium. It's the, the psychiatrist that does inpatient consultations on the medical wards. And uh, it's an interesting field because you get to be very involved in the medical world, but also you you get to be involved with other colleagues, uh, other healthcare workers. It's very multidisciplinary. Yeah, because also you're looking at the mental health of other healthcare workers. Yeah. Uh, at yes, that time. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so basically when you moved back in March of 2019, it was before the revolution started in Lebanon, before the financial crisis, and before COVID hit. Right. So, uh, so uh, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions then. Uh, what are you doing at AUB right now, and how were you dealing with the situations uh, of the revolution and COVID, especially taking care of the healthcare workers working with you at that time? So it's an interesting question because, so I started in March, 2019, things were going great. We started a CL a service, like it was ongoing, but it was never really very standardized. And we started a con- CL is consultation liaison service with rotations uh, for residents, for students. We did a few changes in the policies around delirium in the hospital and the protocols. We launched the first psycho-oncology program. We were very excited about things. And then things went downhill a bit in the country in October 2019. Just for people to be reminded, October 2019, the revolution started. Things economically went sour. We were having medication shortages. And then March 2020, the first wave of COVID hit, right? Our first study at AUB was done on healthcare workers in March 2020. So that was capturing that situation. And we looked at uh, the GHQ is is a general measure of distress. So we just sent out an anonymous survey to everyone working, whether you're a nurse, a physician, a trainee at AUB. And it showed that 30% had a high risk of acute distress. But also 60% had a high risk of acute distress. And then 30% were at high risk of PTSD. So they were not diagnosed, but they were at high risk of PTSD at the time. And uh, it's very interesting because at the time we also saw that it didn't matter if you had a prior diagnosis of a mental health condition, you were just equally at higher risk of having PTSD compared to anyone else. And so what the Department of Psychiatry did at the time, I mean, COVID changed things for everyone, not just AUB, but uh, what we did at the time is 
we launched two trauma, COVID acute uh, trauma uh, initiatives. One was for, to deal with patients that were affected with COVID, but, but another one was a group support uh, for our frontliner colleagues, mostly people that wanted to learn more about skills they could apply for burnout and everything else. But so what's interesting is we repeated the study after the August blast, and we did it on a larger scale. So across all hospitals in Lebanon, it's an, on, an online survey that was sent. We had around 500, a bit more participants. And we had a, a higher rate of PTSD, which is a bit unusual. I'll tell you why. A higher rate of PTSD, we repeated it in December 2020. We had a higher rate of PTSD, around 40%. And 75% of those showed willingness to migrate, to leave Lebanon. But also, it was not related to the economic situation. So it was not related to their income. This was the proxy that we used. So whether you were still having a higher income or you had a lower income, the only thing that was correlated with their willingness to migrate was being at risk for PTSD. So their mental health condition. I think I went off topic a bit, but that's what I usually do. No, it's not off topic, but that's that's interesting because that could have been related to the explosion in August 2020. Yes, I think exactly, that led to... Some of this so it was not the economic situation or the money that wanted that wanted yes. to migrate was more the insecurity, security. I guess, the security situation. So you've established successful programs at AUB, and then how have you been involved with crisis psychiatry? Let's say, how were you involved in, let's say, going to Ukraine or to other countries to assess how you're working there? It's interesting. The disaster psychiatry was not something I ever thought I'd be working in, but what happened is. Because we published things around the blast time, we published on the mental health of students, of healthcare workers. And I was already very familiar with MedGlobal because they're very active in mental health in Lebanon. So MedGlobal is an NGO that is based out of Chicago, but it operates, I think, in every disaster setting you want to think of. They're in Yemen, they're in Syria, they're in Ukraine, they're in Gaza, they're in Sudan. They're everywhere. And they're really very active. They're, they offer both humanitarian aids, but do medical missions as well. And so I advocate for them freely because I think they're amazing. They're not political. Uh, they're just there to help out and to offer capacity building services. And so what happened at the time is I'm familiar with their work in Lebanon and I met their country representative. So in October 2022, they were among the first NGOs that were on the grounds in Ukraine when the conflict started. And so the Ministry of Health in Ukraine in October 2022 had sent out a request to them specifically to train healthcare workers in trauma-informed care. What that means is basically training non-mental health providers or providers that don't have any mental health background in dealing with patients that have been exposed to trauma, but also in avoiding burnout, secondary traumatic stress, vicarious trauma, whatever you want to call it. And so things happen by coincidence, just because I had been working in Beirut in a disaster low-resource time, I would say, and they wanted someone that would have that experience. So I worked closely with colleagues out of UIC in Chicago, and we developed uh, over six months, four modules. So most of what people have been doing in trauma settings is something called psychological first aid, which is basically how to deal with acute trauma in the first hours or weeks after uh, any trauma. And uh, really, this is being covered by most of the NGOs on the ground. And not that that is not needed, but I don't think that is enough. And so we addressed first uh, burnout at an organizational level. So our first modules trains uh, organizational leaders, supervisors, 
in how to really change, because you want to look at burnout as a system, systems problem. You can't tell providers to really take care of their health if the system doesn't allow for it. And so our, that was our first module. Our other two modules are so for- that, that module was more related to like the regular day-to-day -day work of healthcare workers and- Administratively, yes, exactly. Administratively, changes they can do, just informing organizational leaders about how to measure burnout in their organization, what are measures or KPIs they should be looking uh, at, and what symptoms they should be looking at, and what are changes they can implement. So the second and third modules were really for healthcare providers themselves, both for how to self-care, basically, but also how to care for your colleagues. How do you have that conversation if you see that your colleague is being a bit burnt out, getting more irritated? getting angrier, showing up a bit later than usual, maybe coping with substance use? How do you have that conversation with them? And I, I felt that was very helpful because this is something that we get very commonly. And in, as psychiatrists, we get, uh, I know colleagues want to help because we're all uh, healthcare providers want to help. They just don't know how to have that conversation where you show that there's a safe space to have a conversation without really intruding on someone or imposing something. And I think people were very grateful for that module specifically. The, the fourth module is a bit longer and it covers how to deal with anyone or any patient that has been exposed to trauma. So I think that is interesting because we used something that is evidence-informed in trauma-informed care, and that's it's called skills for psychological recovery. And so it's somewhere in between psychological first aid, uh, best, but also not necessarily a clinical intervention. So what that means is we're equipping providers on how to help patients deal with things like emotional distress, mild anxiety, mild insomnia, problem-solving skills. These are things that are not necessarily, because you want to keep in mind is you're not necessarily telling patients that what they're having is pathological, right? You're telling them you're having a severe distress. It is expected, but I'm here to, I want to help you. And now I have the skills to be able to help you without making it sound all oh, like you're depressed, you're an alcoholic, you're, uh, you have PTSD. You can have, I mean, it's a spectrum of emotions if you know how to deal with them then maybe you're decreasing your risk of developing further down the line PTSD and what have you. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. So basically what you do here, these modules were developed to deal with, let's say, emotional distress situations for patients and for healthcare providers in any setting and not necessarily in like a war setting or a crisis setting in that case. Exactly. And these are evidence-informed. We didn't reinvent the wheel. We just translated it to Ukrainian. Uh, we had a fantastic interpreter because they were not found in Ukrainian. And we piloted it uh, in March 20, uh, this past March, 2023, uh, in Lviv. And okay, so, so, we're so basically, before we go on to that, so basically what you've done is you've developed these modules to deal with burnout for healthcare workers and with patients in any setting. But then you decided, why not try these modules and try this process in a crisis setting or a war setting such as Ukraine? Well, we, we kind of, we, we developed them, no, in a crisis setting, but we kind of tweaked it a bit and inserted the war element uh, into it because, I mean, you can't tell someone that is having no electricity or, you know, self-care, you have to have an hour uh, throughout your day to go exercise at the gym, you know, I mean, you have air raids, you have air sirens, you have curfews. So these are not really applicable to a war, uh, to a war setting. 
Um, so we kind of tweaked it a bit. So it would be something that trainees would be able to apply actually and implement. And a, a huge part of the modules is uh, practical. So one, let's let's start with like you're working with Med Global, and then you decided, all right, let's pilot it in Ukraine. And that's when you went there, I guess, in March 2022, yeah. right? Uh, so can you tell us a bit about the story? Like when you arrived there, where did you go? Did you go to a hospital or to a... Yeah. Um, Interesting. Uh, I, I think I get that. I, I get asked about that a lot. I landed in Krakow in Poland. I mean, my global offers you the utmost support. They have your security with you. It's really, they're amazing in supporting us in this. And so you land in Krakow and then it's a 10 hour drive to Lviv. And Lviv, I mean, for those who are not familiar, Lviv is on, it's really on the safe side of things in the sense it's at the borders with Poland. It's really not as affected as other areas of the country, like Bakhmut, Pariupol, even not, not as affected as Kiev. What you have in Lviv is basically air raids, air sirens, curfews. You see a lot of internally displaced patients. And I think that's something that I learned and I'll, I'll tell you about this. And so I, I arrived there, I had to wait for my security brief. And then obviously MedGlobal had picked a hospital to collaborate with, to implement this in. And it was a big children's hospital because it was the largest hospital there. And we went for trainings five days a week. You had to come back a bit early because of the curfews. It was, you know what I would say? It was, Lviv is like Beirut in the 90s. You had conflict, but not really. Regular life is going on as well. It's a bit of a, there's some cognitive dissonance there because you see people out and having dinner and just buying, you know, the first time, I, the first, my first day there, the cab was taking me to the hotel and I see a bridal, bridal boutique shop that is open and then someone buying flowers and I'm like, what, is this a war setting? Uh, is this where I'm going? I think like it's regular life. And then there, there's some cognitive dissonance because like two minutes later, you get these air sirens and air raids and you have to go down to the shelters. And the hospital I was in had beds. So we were giving in the shelters, in the, the, oh, the lectures okay. for the air raids. And, and they had beds. I mean, I have a picture somewhere. They have beds. Uh, it's a pediatric hospital. They have like beds with toys that are in what used to be a swimming pool in the basement. So I think that was just interesting to see. Yeah. So it, it's an interesting experience overall. <laughs> yeah. So you, so, that's, so so basically you were in Lviv. Life was going on regularly, but you went to the hospital and, and uh, worked, I guess, with pediatricians over there, right? So, uh, so there were mostly nurses, actually. So what, what we made sure was, was that the trainings were not mandatory because we were piloting it. We, you really want people that are engaged, that are interested uh, in learning these skills, but also that would give you feedback, which we, we've had to, we were currently changing our modules based on that feedback. And I, I found it very interesting, actually, because uh, so we had heterogeneous group, I would say we had older nurses, younger nurses, we ha you have those people that have been in Lviv their entire lives. So these are not really affected by the conflict uh, in, uh, compared to those that are internally displaced, they've left their families behind, um, they have some survivors guilt that they're dealing with, they don't haven't set up a support system yet in Lviv, or the cities they've moved to, but they've all been dealing with an influx of patients. And so burnout is a, a really at, at, at a high level. And what else? We had pediatricians, but we had some psychology trainees, um, pediatrician and oncologists, so pediatric oncologists mostly. 
So I think the setup originally lends itself to burnout without the war. And and it looks like there were a lot of patients there because a lot of people internally in Ukraine had moved to Lviv because it was one of the safer areas in the country and bordering Poland too, because people would go back and forth to Poland if they need to. Uh, and, and it looks like there were also healthcare workers who were internally displaced, not only patients, right? Internally and displaced so, yes. workers who were working there. And that, that's really, I mean, I, I remember, uh, I won't name her, but this nurse who I, I think was the most touching story I've, I've had. Because you're doing these groups and these trainings are actually not meant to be didactic. They're meant to be, you know, someone sharing their experiences and we go over them the way you'd go over them with a patient. And she's like, yeah, it's great. Um, so someone's saying, you know, I don't have time for myself. The regular stuff, which are equally as valid, I mean, as distressing. Uh, this older nurse was saying she doesn't have time for herself. She has to take care of her husband, of her kids. Not, nothing is related to the war, you know. And then the war just increased the load of work. At, uh, and so they don't have a break. And then she says, uh, when, when we get to, I won't name her, but she says um, that, you know, she's had to leave her mother behind. Now she feels very guilty, but because her she feels that she should she should have told her mother stressed her mother more to come uh, to come with her to Lviv. She doesn't have a lot of friends except her colleagues because she's new to the setup. And I mean, you'd be surprised. What bothered her the most was she couldn't. She was a an avid runner and she couldn't run every day. And that's as valid. You know, there's no complaint that because it's important to maintain a sense of normalcy. To be right. able to right. to maintain right. her mental health, and if that's what works for her, she hasn't been able to find a routine that she can stick to. So, and she has to worry about her family back home. I mean, there's also Khalil a sense of I think it's a new word, I mean, not a new word. It's 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 old, but it's really being it's catching up more since COVID. People are talking more and more about the moral injury uh, in in healthcare workers or moral distress, basically feeling like it's not just burnout feeling like what you're doing is not necessarily aligning with your value system in the sense I'm here working but my family's back home and I feel guilty about leaving them I should be taking care of my family not of patients not not out of patients and and I think since COVID you remember when we had that phase that people were picking uh, who will get a vent and who will not who will be on oxygen and who will not and so that research into moral injury in general and moral distress as a separate entity versus PTSD or secondary traumatic stress is being more and more highlighted. And I think we're going to hear more about it in trauma settings. In the future. So so, so basically what, this is one story, a couple of stories of people either like being guilty, like leaving their families and working in the healthcare setting, or another story you told me about somebody who was internally displaced and now she's dealing with all these guilt yeah. feelings for leaving her parents behind and and being interned in this space, did you did you see anybody who's experienced, let's say, trauma to their family members or to their patients or trauma while they were working in the healthcare setting? Yeah, so everyone deals with injured patients, but I think there's this older lady as well. I would call her older because she's middle aged compared to the very, very junior ones that are joining. So her first trauma was her ma- mom passed away during COVID, and she couldn't really experience that grief or process it because she didn't see her. You have to remember that this started in a setting of COVID and what we've all been really affected by COVID. And, and then she's lost a lot of family members. She's from Mariupol. So she's lost a lot of family members and uh, she's had to move with her husband. And uh, really everyone spe- talks about the disconnect they're feeling when they're getting to Lviv 
because life is going on to, as you know like people are having regular lives and they don't feel as connected to their colleagues or their jobs and you don't want this and someone spoke about having negative feelings you know i mean negative feelings towards their colleagues because they felt that you know what you don't get to whine you don't get to complain you still have your family another interesting thing that came up is when we were asking about what else would you want like future trainings to target everyone almost every group said uh, we didn't have big groups but i mean every group like we had five days of trainings and so every group said alcohol use disorder people were coping more important so impaired physicians impaired nurses and i think that's something that i had not foreseen which is a shortcoming from my end but i, I had not foreseen that and i had not really read about it a lot impaired physicians in war settings. I know there is some literature out of Syria, physicians using opioids, but I think there's this culture of coping with alcohol use in Ukraine baseline. I was looking at studies. And so that probably increased among healthcare providers. And there's a stigma internally among physicians about where do you seek help? We're really very bad at seeking mental health help as, as physicians. Right. Uh, so, why why do you think we're bad at seeking mental health? Is it because we don't wanna we don't wanna believe that we have a problem, or is it because we're just too busy taking care of other people that we don't think of ourselves as much? I think it's a bit of both, but I also think that there's and I'm, I'm it's very unfortunate, but we have this high culture, this internalized stigma among physicians that well, one you don't you don't know where to start if you because you work in a hospital, where are you gonna seek care? Is it gonna be your colleague? Is it going to be confidential or not? And everyone worries about this, even though everyone knows it is confidential, probably, but just everyone does worry about this. And the other thing is, I think there's this culture of which I would, I mean, it goes with the, our years of training that you are a physician. And so by default, you are more resilient than others, which is not necessarily true, right? I mean, I think it's a double-edged sword, this term of resilience. We, we it tends to over-glorify it and blame, to over-glorify over struggle and blame victims. Actually, Khalil, if you looked at disaster psychiatry, the Institute of Medicine doesn't really stress uh, treating disorders such as PTSD or uh, depression or anxiety, but more as uh, it, it it's really urges people to, after post-disaster, address disaster, what they call disaster behaviors, meaning increased substance use, impaired sleep, some mild anxiety that is not necessarily a disorder, but it's really getting going to be impairing. And so uh, this is why I, 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 when we look at, so these are sub-syndromes uh, conditions. And I think it's important when we talk about trauma in general, or trauma-informed care in general, whether it's among physicians or not, to really address it i mean i'm going to choose my words very wisely here uh, to address it really not as something that is pathological i think there's a, but it's something that is preemptive and that is proactive and it is something that is a common reaction uh, that is not necessarily maladaptive but it's going to be maladaptive if you let it grow for a while right, right, does right. that make sense yeah, it makes yeah, sense yeah. yes 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 so basically what, yeah so, so basically what you're saying is you need to detect it early, deal with it, so you don't deal with the long-term consequences of uh, what happened at that time. And this is, if you look at the literature, this is why we added the first module for organizational leaders, because, I mean, it's just become, it's become more and more evident that really it is a system, systems problem. It's a systems problem if you have 
someone who's working very diligently in your in your institution and it's a shortcoming on your end if you're not taking care of their well, well-being as well so, so what is the incidence i guess of mental disorders that you saw uh in ukraine let's say at that hospital and what what so mental disorders were the most common well we didn't we didn't screen again it's not about Yes, diagnosing or, or yeah, yeah. It, and it's also not about diagnosing or detecting but we we are we are conducting a study right now but it's supposed to be across all ukraine but it's not about diagnosing or detecting a disorder and i want to stress that because it's not necessarily something that is a full-blown disorder but it is at just as serious and so um i mean there is evidence i mean for the ukraine for the ukraine setup you want to keep in mind you want to bear in mind is that the full-fledged war or the full-fledged conflict really erupted recently, but there has been a decade of conflict that led to internal displacement. And so even prior to that, the WHO had a report that said, I was doing my lit review, it, it, it had a report that said that 21 to 27% of people will develop some form, were at high risk of PTSD. It also said that so in 2020, it released a report, and that was before the invasion. It released a report that said, I think the average rates of suicide in, and I, I, I probably, wait, I'll look it up. The average rate of suicide was triple the global average in, in Ukraine uh, for estimates. And they had a higher risk of depressive disorder, but also alcohol use disorders than average. And you want to keep in mind that overall, so this is for Ukraine pre-conflict, well, pre-full-blown conflict. But also you want to keep in mind that in general, overall, in conflict settings, 22% of the population as a whole is at higher risk of severe mental disorders. And so uh, if you translate that into Ukraine, and that's in the WHO report, it's a population of 44 million. So you have around 9 to 10 million people that will have some form of mental health problem with around 4 million of those having severe mental illness and so that is clinically disabling and so i think the mental health needs of any conflict setting but specifically in ukraine are just going to increase and usually the curve there's a famous curve in disasters i talk a lot so feel free to interrupt me at any point <laughs> so the, the 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 if you look there's this famous curve in trauma in disaster psychiatry and on the psychological reactions of a community and it usually we tend to say that you know the the risk of PTSD or depression or what have you decreases after the first year. But I don't think that's necessarily true in the case of ongoing conflict. I mean, it's not it's not a blast, it's not an earthquake, it's not a hurricane, it's ongoing stressors. Um, and so even though the most common, and this is important, the most common psychological reaction out of any disaster or trauma is usually resilience. Most people will be resilient. It's important to know, to really keep in mind that I think in ongoing conflict, after the disillusionment and the sense of cohesion, you know, the hero, we call it the heroic, sorry, heroic uh, post-disaster phase. Once that sets in, I think the rates do increase because people with the sense of cohesion decreases. Right, 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 right. And so, how do you, how would you compare? I guess your experience in Ukraine, let's say, with what's happened in Lebanon, or maybe, I don't know if you have experience also of what's happened in Syria. Well, we are working on a project in Syria. I'm not involved on the grounds, but I think they have a fantastic team already there. I think Syria is a bit of a different experience because Syria now needs 
we have to compare Syria. I mean, the the war, the conflicts have been going on for a decade, and the war right now it's not about psychological first aid or skills for psychological recovery, but you really have to have an advanced system of psychiatric care. You have to build hospitals, you have to have psychiatric wards, you have to have, you can't wait, there's no end in sight. And for Lebanon, it's a bit more convoluted, I feel, because there's the economic part and there's the blast that is a one-time thing, but there's the economic part that is brewing. And I know that Lebanon is a disaster setting, but it's not really ongoing conflict. You don't have the threat of security every day. And uh, so I think the population has somewhat adapted overall as healthcare providers. And I think all this, how that would compare to Sudan, I would say, I think it's important to keep in mind what I just said. I think that as, as psychiatrists, if you want to work in trauma settings or disaster settings, you have to keep in mind that you're not necessarily pathologizing or diagnosing or screening or treating disorders, but you're really, in, in terms of capacity building, you're equipping an already fragile healthcare system that is working at capacity, which is what happens. In, you're equipping it with basic skills to prevent disorders later on. For example, in, in Northwest Syria, they only have two psychiatrists for the whole Northwest Syria region. And so you, you, by default, you can't but equip primary care providers and teach them skills to deal with serious mental conditions, not just, you know, not just first aid or just mild anxiety. So what's your advice now that uh, we mentioned Sudan, I guess, since Sudan is the latest uh, conflict that's happening at this point. So what's your advice to healthcare workers in Khartoum, let's say? Well, uh, well, first, for, for healthcare workers that are outside, I would say don't self-deploy. I just I, I feel that people have this excitement and the rush of going to a disaster setting when, when it starts and self-deploying. And it's not really what people, what I found is it's not necessarily what others are asking for. They don't want you to, to come and teach them how to do things. They already have a healthcare systems. Uh, they want you to build on what's already present. And so it's really very important. I think a lot of the global health efforts, global health in general has moved from you know, being coming from a more developed country and giving money and just helping out with money versus just working and understanding the culture, being more culturally sensitive and equipping people that are already on the ground. So what we're doing, for example, in Ukraine, I didn't mention this. So the way it would evolve would be a train the trainer model, meaning we would be training the, as a first part, because you know what the first criticism was, not that I was not a good a good trainer, but that you know what, the cultural barrier, I'm giving this, I'm, I'm giving this training, and it's in a different language. And I have this interpreter. And as much as they felt that I speak with my hands a lot. So I feel they, they, they really got the gist of what I was saying, but they felt that the interpretation was a bit too literal. And so that got things were lost in translation. And so I think instead of going and saying, yes, we're going to train you in things, just first as a needs assessment, understanding what the needs of the community are, what their healthcare providers are asking for, and then training. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna train Ukrainian mental health providers and they would go on and do the other trainings. So I think this is a bit more realistic and a bit more culturally sensitive, I think. It's important to do that. Yes. And I think, I, think, I think what you're doing is very important even in Ukraine, like training, training the trainer, because I think a lot of times when you're in conflict, people think about trauma, about uh, 
bullets, bullet wounds, explosion wounds, stuff like that. But nobody thinks about the mental health impact of these situations on patients and much less on healthcare workers. And I think uh, if people are starting to get sensitive to this topic, then maybe people like you or, or like MedGlobal can be deployed in different places up front to try to help uh, physicians, uh, nurses, and other healthcare workers deal with the situations that they're in. And I think it, it will also, I mean, there's, a, I think just bringing it out as healthcare providers as collateral, what I, I call it collateral damage in trauma, in trauma situations, their mental health. And I, I think it's important because that would start a conversation among healthcare providers about you know, sharing what they're going through, not necessarily as a pathology or a disorder, but that is an expected outcome of a very stressful situation. Right, exactly. And especially, I mean, a lot of healthcare path through COVID. I mean, everybody's been traumatized over the past three years in different ways, even in developed nations. The Great Resignation. I read that article. Did you read it? Yeah, I've read, I've read that article. Yeah, a lot of people quit. Uh, exactly. So Maya, what, what, I mean, uh, what's, what's your plans? What's your future plans yourself? Interesting. I don't know. I wasn't prepared. For that. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't prepared. That's a trick question. I didn't send it to you. Oh, um, I don't know. I, you know, I deal with, I deal with the cards I'm dealt with. I ended up working yeah. with like, but I also, I also, I like psychology. Honestly, um, I like consultation psychiatry a lot. Uh, and so I, I, I probably a hybrid, uh, a hybrid format. I, I don't think there's a one aspect what I would like to do that I'd focus on more. But no, I think I'll keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. So basically global health and psycho-oncology and potentially yes. uh, expanding your work in global health, I guess, maybe in Ukraine and maybe in other countries. Yes, I think it's very interesting. It's very it's very humbling, actually, to see. The experience that other healthcare provide, I mean, it's just such a common shared experience, the disaster that you feel. Even in Ukraine, I would say, you know, you, you tend to feel that I used to think that mental health was stigmatized in, you know, Beirut, Lebanon, Arabs, the countries, Middle Eastern countries. But then you go to Ukraine and it's also stigmatized. Um, people have this culture of stigma around mental illness. Their psychiatric care is more focused on severe mental illness like schizophrenia and bipolar disorders, not necessarily around milder forms of distress. And so I think it's just, it's humbling to see and it makes you feel like the world is too small. Right, I mean, thank you, Maya, for, for being on the podcast, for highlighting, for highlighting all these issues. I think it's very important. I think the mental health of healthcare workers over the past three years has become a very important topic. Uh, and I, I, especially if the world wants to keep enough healthcare workers, I guess, to take care of oh, right? patients, uh, mental health is going to be a very important uh, issue to deal with. So thank you for all your work on this topic. I will say this, and I think every one of us, every psychiatrist will tell you this, mental health is important every day, not just in disaster settings. So I think, I right, think I, it's I agree 100%. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Khalil.